0: Hello and thank you for joining us for our first podcast in 2019, where we're going to be starting our Back to the Start series. I hope you're doing well this new year. This is Captain Bradley Hargis at the Hot Springs Salvation Army, and um, this four-week series we're about to start is going to walk us through the book of Amos, focusing on how our spiritual walk with God affects our pursuit of righteous justice going to be asking, how can we return to the basics of Christian devotion, and how can we get back to the roots of our faith? Uh, so will you join with us this back to the start and chart a path taking us from the heart of God's love for us uh, to others? Uh, maybe you're uh, someone this year that's created a New Year's resolution, uh, but what are some other things we see typically happening at the coming of a new year? Many see it as a time of setting things straight. Uh, Maybe you cleaned out your house, or you paid off some debt, or returned a borrowed object. Uh, Maybe you've reflected on your shortcomings from the past year and think of how you can do better in the next year, or maybe you've mended a relationship. In many cultures, people jump into the sea or a local body of water, literally washing their slate clean. Uh, It's said in some towns in Italy, you must watch out for flying objects as people shove their old sofas, chairs, and even refrigerators out the windows in the new year to make way for newness. In Ecuador, people make dummies stuffed with straw to represent the events of the past year. These effigies are burned at midnight and getting rid of the past in their eyes. Uh, In Brazil, they even wear different colored underwear, uh, symbolizing different things, such as pink being love, yellow prosperity, white peace, and happiness. And in America, we know that Planet Fitness Gym membership soar, but this is really not the idea we're going to be talking about as we investigate Amos. It's not going to be a newness or a resolution. Uh, It's going to be literally a returning back to the roots of our faith, to the basics. And so if you will, turn with us to the book of Amos, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Again, that's Amos, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And our topic today is going to be over ethics, good and evil, and roots of faith. And this is what Amos 1 says. It says, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Israel and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. He said, The Lord rules from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. Let's break each one of these down for a moment. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. The phrase, The Lord roars from Zion, could mean a few things. Amos brings, first of all, a message of judgment. The first two chapters of Amos describe the judgment of the Lord against two different groups of people first, against the Gentile nations, and those are mentioned later. And those are Syria, Tyre, Palestine, Edom, and Ammon. Then again, against another group, the Jews, which are the North and South Kingdom, referred to as Judah and Israel. The phrase, he utters his voice from Jerusalem, means several things as well. That Israel is in direct disobedience to God. And kind of think of this next piece as the prophet painting a map. And there's some periphery issues, but at the epicenter of all of them is Israel. Because the problem is they established some rival centers of worship that were not Jerusalem. The Jews had established rival centers of worship in Dan, Bethel, and Gilgah. And when Amos says the Lord speaks from Jerusalem, he reminds them that that needs to be the center of worship. That they cannot be in the other three areas. Pastures of the shepherds mourn is also an interesting phrase in this, that since Amos was a shepherd himself, he knew how the judgment of God could affect the land or creation. If God withheld rain, sent plagues, or allowed conquering armies to come upon the land, it might have made the pastures of the shepherds mourn because the land would not be fruitful any longer. This is kind of an interesting vision that creation would even mourn and pay for the sin of the Jews. And lastly, I think one of the most interesting visions of this is the top of Carmel withers. It's interesting to note that Carmel was a prominent mountain in the north of Israel. It was actually the site of Elijah's dramatic confrontation with the prophets of Baal, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. Since Elijah served before the time of Amos, it may be that Amos is reminding Israel of the victory that the Lord had over idolatry. It could also be telling us that Carmel was also a fruitful place, Uh, known to grow gray crops and what he's saying is if you keep up with this kind of behavior i'm going to turn that area of abundance into a place of desolation and so really what's the big idea of this message today that god is the only one with the authority to set the ethical standards for the world in other words we don't determine our own morality god does and this is really a, a, a hard topic Whenever we talk about uh, morality today, it seems that we all do what's right in our own eyes in a lot of cases. So first of all, what is right and what is wrong? I want you to kind of, at this moment, just kind of take a mental inventory of what you believe to be right and what you believe to be wrong. Um, Are some of those things items from the Ten Commandments? Uh, Is it maybe some, some of Jesus' parables? Uh, maybe is it from things you learned from your parents or school or maybe, uh, a civic group that you belong to. Um, or maybe it's based around, uh, a certain culture, belief or religion or political party. I don't know what that could be for you, but make a list of what is right and what is wrong because that'll be important in a moment. And let's talk a little bit more about Amos. That the book of the prophet Amos is the only one to mention the man in the entire Old Testament. The books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles don't mention this prophet. And he should not be confused with Amos, the father of Isaiah the prophet, which is found in Isaiah chapter 1. The name Amos means burden or burden bearer. Since most of the prophecies of Amos concern coming judgment on either the nation surrounding Israel or judgment on Israel itself, he was a man with a burden. This would have been an incredibly hard message to carry. The phrase also, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, is significant and we need to pay attention to it. It appears that Amos had no formal theological or prophetic tra- training, though there was a school of the prophets known as the sons of the prophets at the time, and that's directly out of First and Second Kings, around chapter 20. But Amos was a simple man, he was a fig farmer, who had a unique calling to ministry for a very specific time. Amos spoke of his background also in calling in Amos chapter 7, and he says this in verses 14 through 15. I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. This affirms God's divine will in Amos's life. Amos also uses an unusual word to describe his occupation. Instead of calling himself a shepherd, he literally used the word a sheep raiser. And this comes from the ancient Hebrew. Amos probably chose this title to emphasize the fact that he really was a shepherd, but he didn't mean shepherd in a symbolic, spiritual sense. The way God used Amos reminds us of the way that he used the twelve disciples of Jesus, that they were common, ordinary working men used to do a great thing for God. Now a little bit about his hometown. Amos was from Tekoa, which is about ten miles from Jerusalem. And it seems that he delivered his prophetic message at Bethel, which is one of the most southernmost cities of Israel and not very far from Tekoa. Amos served in the days of a divided monarchy as well. They had a divided kingdom with Uzziah king of Judah in the south and Jeroboam II, son of Joash, to the north and Israel. And most researchers date the ministry of Amos. That some, it happened somewhere around 760 B.C. to 750 B.C. But when Amos served as a prophet, the people of God had been divided into these two nations for over 150 years. Amos accuses Israel of breaking their covenant with God and highlights how their idolatry has led to injustice and neglect of the poor. And we'll get into this a little bit more in just a moment. But the book of Amos is an intriguing scripture from a unique individual, Amos, a shepherd and a fig tree farmer dwelling in southern Judah, who was called to go by God to Bethel and announce warnings of judgment to the northern kingdom of Israel. Northern Israel at this time had conquered many other nations and was enjoying its recent success But it is noted that it was spiritually bankrupt on the inside, that they were worshipping local pagan gods, typically Canaanite gods, and twisting their moral perceptions. And the people of Israel infamously cheated, stole, and sold the poor into slavery and foreign land. God is grieved by the evils he sees the people of Israel doing, but through his mercy he is willing to give them another chance, and that's one of the key themes also in the book of Amos that they had really messed up, but God was willing to give them another shot at it. And what can we really learn by reading Amos today? That through Amos' wisdom, we discover that doing the right thing and loving others is more important than sacrifice. That who desires to renew the heart of everything? And we know that that all comes through Jesus. But here's a little bit of the overall makeup of the book of Amos, kind of broken down into some Subtitles. That the first is actually about the calling of Amos, that God calls him, a farmer, to prophesy in Israel against the people's sin, especially against cheating, oppressing, and enslaving the poor. What he does after this is he circles in the evil doing, he creates the epicenter being Israel, that through sermons, poems, and visions, Amos prophesies judgment against the nation surrounding Israel, and then the epicenter of Israel's wrongs. And then consequences are carefully spelled out if they do not do what God asked them to do. The next is about power and responsibility, that because of God's intimate covenant he made with the people of Israel, they are to set higher standards as his representatives on earth, that Israel should lead by example. And this is true of us as Christians in the faith as well, that we too are to set an example by having higher standards than the culture and world around us. And lastly, he he goes on to say that there is no one like the Lord that Amos pleads with the people of Israel to turn from Canaanite idols and worship the one true God who made everything and delivered them out of Egypt. That all nations also are under God and that a men gloomy judgment, a hopeful promise, rings out. That God always confronts evil and creates a restored family and a new world. And it's interesting to note that that's always a theme in God's uh, plan that we need to always remind ourselves of, that God is always looking to create a restored family and a new world, uh, to have a new humankind uh, that acts as his body and accomplishes his purposes uh, to bring about reconciliation of the world. Now let's kind of hop right back into Amos. Through the period of a divided monarch, Judah saw a succession of kings. Some were godly and some were ungodly. Uzziah was one of the better kings of Judah Uh, But unfortunately, the northern nation of Israel saw nothing but a succession of bad or wicked kings. Uh, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, was one of the better kings among the wicked men, especially in a political and military sense, but he was still an ungodly man, and you can read more about that on 2 Kings chapter 14. It was once said, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, that this quote can be found in the Goblet of Fire. Remember if there is a time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy. And we know that uh, Albus Dumbledore said this in Harry Potter. And the reason I bring this up is it is easy to fall in line with those around us rather than taking the harder path of doing what is right. Going back to the start of the Christian faith means being willing to depart from others when it pulls us away from God's pursuit of justice. And this is something to really think about in our own sphere of influence, right? That how often do we fall in with the culture or people around us instead of pursuing God's justice? It's also said that without some objective reference point, we have no way of really knowing what is up or what is down. And this is really said from an orienteering point of view, but on earth, the ground is always below us. So we have a way of calibrating what everything else is in relation to it. In the same way, really, God should be our objective reference for all point of morality, that he is really our true north that all things should point to. Nothing else is as constant or as consistent as him. Some people judge their morality in relation to culture. This, however, is unwise because culture is always changing. In fact, it sometimes even changes hourly, and it will always continue to change. For instance, what is socially acceptable today maybe will not be socially acceptable in a year. Or think about even your grandparents' generation, is what was acceptable then acceptable now? The answer to that is probably no. But the great thing in this is God is always the same, that he doesn't change. And that's why everything must be held up to him, because he's the unchanging element in all of this. And this can be really summarized by asking ourselves a few questions. And that question is this, can you be good without God? It is true that you can't be good without believing in God, but you can't be good without God. The truth is, if God does not exist, then moral values don't exist. And this is an interesting thought. In Amos chapter 7, verses 10-17... We also see that the king tries to stop Amos from spreading the truth about Israel's injustice because the prophet is speaking out against a kingdom. Here's an interesting thing to note, though it's not up to the king to decide what's right and wrong, that's God's call. And I wonder if we ask this question, too, of who determines our morality? Is it family? Is it influences in our life? Is it political parties? Uh, Whatever it might be, those all pale in comparison to what God has to say about it. And so maybe go back and look over some things that he really uh, lays down those roots of the Christian faith, things like the Ten Commandments, things like the Beatitudes, uh, things like the Golden Rule. Uh, How do we return back to uh, loving ourselves and loving our neighbor and not stealing our coveting? or loving God with our entire heart, uh, or not creating idols. You see, we have to know those as the foundation before we can move forward with God and really know what's right and what's wrong. So our questions today are these, that what is the one thing that stood out to you from today's message? Uh, did something kind of leap out through the podcast that you thought was interesting, maybe haven't heard before? Uh, the second question is, Where else does our culture look for authority or guidance on what is right or wrong? And this could be very different depending on who we ask. It could even be very different in seasons of our life. An interesting question to ask ourselves is why do we need to do what's right? What happened if everybody did what was right in their own eyes? How can we make sure we stay focused on what God calls right and wrong? And how can we be grounded? And maybe the most interesting question of all is how are people around us affected when we don't treat God as the authority on right and wrong? And is there some rollover in our sin because of that? I hope that you have found this opening uh, introduction into back to the start uh, in the book of Amos helpful. Uh, Hope you found it helpful in just kind of determining, in fact, who Amos was and what he was up against. Uh, Because the reality is Our our modern context just doesn't quite get there. Uh, A time of resetting or a time of resolutions uh, or a time of bringing good luck uh, really pales in comparison to returning to the roots of our Christian faith. Uh, Those hallmark things, uh, things like that I'm created in God's image and that others are created in his image and I'm to take care of the body And love my neighbor because that's God's image. Uh, Or things like not taking advantage of the poor. Or being a great husband. Or being the best father to my children. Not for the sake of being a social moralist. uh, But really for the sake of bringing about God's kingdom here. Uh, And lastly, uh, reading through the book of Matthew might be a good place to start in the new year. I'm just reading through the Beatitudes and what Jesus has to say uh, about how his kingdom is going to look. In a lot of ways, the Beatitudes are painting the picture of an upside-down kingdom that we often think it includes the wealthy and the powerful and the prominent and the learned But we see a very different vision of what God sees as important in his kingdom. And it's often the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the disenfranchised, the hungry, the naked, the uneducated. And it's our job to love them. And I just pray that as you begin to start your 2019, that it would be more of a time not of house cleaning, paying off debts or returning borrowed objects, but more of a time of of returning back to the roots of your Christian faith. If you have any questions, drop us a note on our podcast page, and may you have an incredible 2019. See you in a week. God bless.